Vix the Convince. Welcome to the Vix the Convince podcast. Here's your host, NewSpark founder, Paul Mosenson. Hello out there. Welcome to the podcast, Fix the Convince. I'm Paul Mosenson. Hope everybody's doing good out there. We're recording this in December. Happy holidays. If you're listening in January, happy holidays anyway. So we've been doing a lot of great podcasts through the year, and this is um, exciting. You know, we're talking about convincing audiences to convert and sell, but there's a lot more involved with that, of course. We've spoken about content and strategy and tactics and things like that, but what about the tools you use and how to measure it? Um, that's really the bottom line is it's, it's, it's making uh, strategic decisions based on data, and, and you need to have enough data to know how to make those decisions. So we're going to talk today about a, an analyst guru who came from Kissmetrics, and I realized that when I was reading your bio. Um, I remember Kissmetrics, and uh, they're huge. Um, Dan McGaw. Hey, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me, Paul. Nice to be here. Great. Thanks for, thanks for jumping on. You're an award-winning serial entrepreneur, marketer, and speaker, and you're the founder and CEO of McGaw.io. The I.O., I know what that is, right? It's the, the latest <laughs> extensions, right? Um, I, you're an analytics and marketing technology consultancy, and you're claimed as one of the original growth hackers. And I'm big on that, as you know. And one of the godfathers of the marketing tech stack. You're the former head of marketing at Kissmetrics, and now with consulting practices, leads companies big and small to success with their marketing technology and analytics. All right, so i uh, got a number of questions for you. And uh, again, thanks for uh, being here. Help me understand about the marketing tech stack and why do I need to pay attention to it? And really, how does it help increase revenue at my company? Yeah, great question. Um, I think marketing technology and the MarTech stack is really misunderstood by a lot of companies and a lot of people out there. I mean, naturally, we all know of marketing technology because we have marketing automation, we have CRM, uh, we have email, we do SMS and stuff like that. We have pop-ups on our site. But I think the thing that we try to help people understand really is like marketing technology is anything that stores data about your customers that can be later used to help you better market or create a better customer experience for them. So really, I think that marketing technology should all be integrated um, and you should have your basically tentacles into all the parts of the company that will allow you to get customer data. So whether this be customer support systems, whether this is going to be your analytics tools, um, you really need to make sure that if customer data is being stored there, marketing can have access to that because the more that we can personalize and tailor that experience, or experience towards the customer, um, the better that experience is going to be. And naturally, marketing usually controls most of the experience, right? Whether that be uh, advertising marketing, whether that be funnel optimization marketing, whether that's product marketing, right? All of that really is still a part of marketing. And it's interesting to see now that some companies are moving sales more into the marketing department as well. So um, you're starting to see marketing technology kind of eat everything. Um, and for me, anything that has customer data should be connected to the stack. You know, there's a, I'm glad to hear you say that because I'm always talking about marketing and sales alignment and uh, and how they can work together. Um, I mean, marketing automation has tried to do that for years, of course. And, uh, you know, there's so much more sales technology than there used to be, of course, too. And, you know, I've been 
you know, investigating more about sales enablement, sales engagement tools and things like that. That's all part of the stack, right? You know, it kind of blends, you know, where it's marketing, but we call it sales, but it's marketing, <laughs> you know? So, because it is a blend and it's still about trying to attract people to pay attention to a message to take action and, uh, and doing it as relevant as possible. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we always talk about relevancy, and that's really what we're talking about here. Um, but use customer well, data yeah, a lot. Mo most salespeople, right? And I love um, sales, right? Like I'm, I, I do sales for our company. I mean, I have a VP of sales who's, who works with me. But usually, like when we meet a true tried salesperson, right? They're great at relationships. They're great at conversations. They're great at having uh, a back and forth. They're great at hearing no. But when you see messaging, when you see experiences, when you see the, um, the customer journey that most salespeople create, if they weren't enabled by marketing, they'd be screwed. Um, sales is really, in many cases, just an extension of marketing, right? And I'm not trying to discredit any sales because I, I am not nearly as good at sales as my VP of sales. But if my VP of sales did not have our marketing, he would not be able to do his job effectively. Now, would I be able to do marketing without my salesperson? In many cases, yeah, I can sell a pretty high ticket item without having much of a salesperson based upon my marketing. Um, that's how we've been successful as a brand. So I definitely think, um, and I'm not trying to say discredit sales at all, because I think sales holds an extremely, extremely valuable role uh, in the company. But I think it is, is definitely a teamwork. You have to have clear alignment. You should be working as a team. I mean, when I was at Kissmetrics, one of our major reasons for success was that on my first day and Chad, who is the CRO, uh, we sat down, we went to a bar, we had happy hour. We said, hey, we are buddies. We're doing everything together. Um, and I would attend his Friday all team meetings. He would attend my Friday all team meetings. Um, and we were a team. Yeah, we had two different teams that worked independently of each other. But there was never a time that sales and marketing were against each other. We were there to be together. Um, because we knew we were dependent upon each other uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. So it's definitely important. Plus you get customer feedback too to craft your messaging, you know, as far as what they responded to and what their needs are. And then it, it, it just goes hand in hand, you know, when, when you have those discussions. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I think product teams do a disservice to sales by not listening to sales enough. Um, I think that some of the most valuable conversations you can listen to out of recordings is, is sales conversations. The cut, the words that the customers use are so helpful for building a product. For sure. For sure. Earlier on, you talked about customer data and how important that is like to the audience right now, what does it mean? And, uh, why does it matter? And, um, how are you supposed to use it? Yeah, really, really good question. Well, I mean, I think customer is the customer data is this like nebulous thing, um, but we in the analytics space and as well as like customer data platform space, there's basically two ways that you have to think about customer data. You have the things that people do, which is their behavior actions, right? That's their behavior data, and then you also have what's known as identity attributes or basically their what we know about them. So demographic, age, firmographic, anything like that, technographic, things like that. So. Um, and just to make sure I'm not losing any firmographic is of course the data we know about the person and their company demographic is what we know about that person, gender, age, things like that, social stature, 
Technographic is when we're able to understand what are the technologies that person used, but as well as what technologies is their company using. Um, so what we do is when a customer is using our products or services or anybody's out there, you can track every action they have and then use that data to be able to inform analytics and inform future decisions. And at the same time, when somebody's using your site, they give you their first name, they give you their email, um, you can store that information. But when they give you that email leveraging analytics, you also now know where are they located, you can understand where they came from. There's all kinds of ways to get that. And if you take it a step farther, like we do with a lot of our clients, we use a lot of data enrichment. You give me your email, I may ping full contact, tower data, clear bits, um, Expedia, right? I may be asking all kinds of random people, I have this address, um, I need information about this person. And they'll sell it to you um, for, for pennies or fractions of a penny. And then all of that data gets put into a product or a system, marketing automation, CRM, customer data platform, to then be used um, to do personalization and create better experiences. So for me, we, we luckily live in America, not Europe, um, and we can consume as much data as we can possibly get, and we can then leverage that data. Um, some people think it's unethical uh, in regards to the way that some of this data is used, especially when you exploit it like a Facebook or a Google. But at the end of the day, what we have to understand is customers want us to use this data to improve their experience. And then when they have a bad experience, they throw a fit that they had a bad experience. And it's like, well, if you would have told us your birthday, we would have realized that you're not able to buy alcohol. We wouldn't have served your kid an alcohol ad, but you don't want <laughs> us to know that information. So we're going to show your kid all kinds of stuff that they shouldn't see because you refuse to let us see the data. Um, so it, it definitely, the data helps and there are limits, but uh, customer data is extremely valuable to creating great experiences. Yeah, you bring up a good point, actually. And I mean, it's a, it's a something I've always said really is, well, you can't get away from advertising, but if you're going to see it, you might as well get marketing that's relevant to what your needs are, but not then you'd be even more just more uh, crazed over it. Like, like, I don't need to see that. Um, or it might see something say that interests me. I'm, I'm yeah. data, I'm data, you know, so that'd be, a, <coughs> excuse me. So anyway, um, yeah, for sure. You know, as a marketing stack consultant, um, you know, I always think about like in the old days, email and marketing automation, and personalization tools and conversion optimization tools and exit intels and all these things. But um, would you, what do you look at? Is there, what are the most common tools in a marketing stack? And, and what um, do you think is something that companies don't have a lot that they should have? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, the most common thing you're always going to see is Google Analytics, some sort of marketing automation tool, some sort of pop-up tool, and then a CRM if they're, they're on the B2B side of things. Like those are your most stereotypical things. But I would, of course, also include technologies like your website, right? I think your website is the most commonly um, underestimated marketing technology you have. Most people don't have a website for any other reason other than marketing, right? It's not like you have a website so uh, you could make your product. You need the website so people can find it and it's going to be used as a marketing vehicle. So naturally, the website. Um, now, the, the things that we see that are really, really coming in more popular and what people are, of course, adding, customer data platforms are extremely hot right now, which are really, really important. Uh, this really changes the way that your all of your tools work together, and it, it really is helpful. Um, we see a lot of companies advancing their analytics. Um, Google Analytics is okay, but it doesn't tell you who's doing it. It doesn't have good uh, tracking. Um, Google Analytics 4 will improve upon that, but other analytics products like Mixpanel or um, Amplitude are much better. Me coming from Kissmetrics, um, Kissmetrics, of course, is a great analytics product, but I think Amplitude is much better. 
Um, but this more behavior tracking analytics products is kind of the, the direction that other people are going. Um, analytics is becoming extremely important, right? Um, so I think that's like some of the next evolution, but there's over 8,000 different tools, right? In 50 some categories. So it's kind of hard to say what everybody has. Yeah, for sure. I remember Google Analytics came out with like user ID tracking, but I'm not even sure if people actually use that, you know, for yeah. maybe they do. Well, but um, You're not allowed to put in anything that's identifiable in it. So you can use the user ID tracking, um, but at the same time, they're not going to be able to tell you repeat purchase rate. They're not going to tell you your MRR. Uh, monthly recurring revenue. They don't track a user over the uh, over an extended period of time very, very well. And then all of your data is sampled, right? So if you're doing 100,000 visits a month, you start drilling down, you're going to be looking at 4% of your data. Do you really want to be making the most critical business decisions you have looking at 4% of your data? Um, for me, I don't trust only 4% of my data. Yeah, that's that's always things to think about. That's for sure. Um, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I was looking at your website and, uh, you know, I'm big on um, building funnels and cadences. That's like a big thing now, especially in the growth hacking community and, you know, click funnels, 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 right? And you even mentioned, you know, funnel op op automation and things like that. I'm lead funnels, sales funnels, um, but is there a best practices on building these things? Like, should I wait four days? Should I wait six days? Let a, I mean, I know there's new AI tools that say, well, you know, let's, if they open an email, maybe send it three days. If they don't send it by, you know, whatever it is. But is there a solid strategy here? Or is it just kind of like just testing? <laughs> I definitely think testing is probably one of the, the easiest answers. I mean, the, the problem is, is every business is a unique snowflake, right? It's so very much different. So you can't just apply an easy blanket best practice to all of them. The thing that I would definitely focus on, though, is trying to walk somebody through a journey. Um, I tend to not be only day-based. I tend to be behavior-based. If user did this and did not do that, at day three, send this message. If user did this and if user did this, send this message. Um, I tend to try to make it so it's more behavior-driven, uh, segmented as much as I can. Um, but I wouldn't say that I'm not a big fan of having a linear path. So day three, they get this. Day seven, they get this. Day nine, they get this. Day 12, they get this. I try to make it more based upon whatever behavior actions we're trying to get them to do. Um, and I think a lot of people, um, you have to just spend a lot of time experimenting. I mean, going back to my days when I was at code school, um, our referral program that we spent a lot of time working on um, didn't, didn't become successful until six months after starting it. And that really came down to us constantly testing and iterating on the different time windows that things would happen, the different lengths, the different awards. Um, and it really just came down to testing. So I think the biggest thing that I would stress, use your analytics and do as much testing as you possibly can. And naturally do as much personalization as you can. Um, that's where the behavior trigger comes into play is you've got to personalize uh, and telling somebody their first name is not personalization. I don't even need to know who you, if I just have your address, I know your first, your last name, I can know how many kids you have. And all you're going to do is personalize on my first name because I filled it in a form. Do something much better than that. You're working on the internet. Well, there's, there's a plus minus for that, right? I mean, I get it. It should be, right? Ideally. But you know how it is in this country, right? You know, there's list brokers. We get lists. Cold email marketing, cold email deployments. It's hard to personalize that, but it's, you know, we... We do that, you know, any, you know, you could be, you know, 
plus and minus in those kinds of practices, but um, any general thoughts on that? Cause... Well, I mean, with cold, right? Um, I think cold definitely, like one of the things that we always try to remind people with cold outbound email, right? Is you need to find a trigger moment. If you're just spamming and hoping for the best, you're gonna get the results that you should expect. Um, we try to take a much more thoughtful approach to that. Um, looking at being able to tie other data to that. You can buy uh, emails from a list broker. You can take those emails and send them through another service that will enrich them and then have many more attributes to work from. But at the same time, it's not hard to find somebody's social media profile uh, because you have their email, right? It makes it pretty easy in many cases to immediately find uh, some way to personalize or even based upon their company. So I do push people to, to try to go that extra step because um, I can promise you this, I get spam all the time um, I'm a decision maker. I can spend a lot of money. I either hit the spam button, auto archive, um, or I just delete it, right? Um, now, very seldomly a message piques my interest, right? Um, and that helps, but I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that just get ruined um, because they don't take that extra step. If you tailor it just a little bit to me, um, you're going to get much more value out of your uh, investment. Yeah, it is a challenge depending on the size of your company and, you know, and just your own business model, right? Because, yeah, but I understand, right? I mean, you know, you can only do so much, I guess, and it's good. It depends on what your strategy is and, and your organization and, you know, things like that. So um, just got to be careful if you're doing those cold emails, by the way, send a little bit at a time, right? So, <laughs> you know, until, until, you know, it's all about reputation, so, right? Um, yeah, you need to be, you need email deliverability. And if you just start blasting out emails, you lose your email deliverability. Once you lose your email deliverability, it doesn't matter what you send. It all goes to spam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Take some time for sure. Uh, when you do work with B2B companies in general, you know, with everything that you do, what you've noticed about what mistakes they're making and, or things that may not be optimized. Um, what do you see? Is it, is it really just, there could be a lot of things, of course, but um, yeah. What, what do you notice more as the pain point and say, hey, this is not working right? <laughs> um, I mean, I think the, the, the biggest area of gap that we see where, I mean, we definitely get involved a lot is a lack of visibility into the customer journey because marketing and sales are so separated. Um, marketing will have all the tracking up until somebody becomes a lead, they'll have analytics on it. And then once it becomes a lead, it gets flipped over to sales and then marketing has no sight of it. Sales has sight of it, but then sales doesn't have good analytics. Um, that's usually where we see that uh, big problem there. And a lot of times we're coming in and adding a layer of uh, analytics on top of both of them to make it so that both marketing and sales can have better visibility into how did that customer get there? What are the analytics around that? I think that's probably some of the big stuff. We actually, um, we just started working with a company called Set Sale, um, and they, they're super awesome. They provide artificial intelligence that looks at all of your activities across marketing and sales to better predict what activities you should do in the future. Um, and don't get me wrong, they sell to like big companies and stuff, but it's super cool technology. Um, and they kind of help solve some of this problem because you just don't know once something gets on the sales side, what's happening. The activity in a CRM is really, really hard to like, analyze like activity in a CRM sucks to analyze. So for us, um, we love their technology. We think it's super cool, but we do something very similar where we're able to take that, that activity, um, through lead status updates and then apply that to analytics. So we can see full funnel reports. So we see that as a common problem, just lack of visibility. I think the second part of that, where, um, in regards to B2B companies, um, 
is there's just not a good relationship between sales and marketing and there's not a good handoff. Um, the number one point of frustration in those types of companies is like when I go from an SDR, which could be in marketing to an account executive, then I go to a customer success person, that handoff sucks. Um, and the way that it's done, the data that you have, the way that it's processed, that process is always usually pretty shitty. Um, you feel like you're starting over every freaking time you talk to a new person. So we do a lot of involvement around that. I know in our company, we, we focus heavily on the transition stages. Um, we should transition is, is the worst part of the process. So, I mean, those are some of the high level stuff in regards to like tactics and stuff like that. I mean, every company sucks at tactics in a different way at a different time. Yeah. Oh, I hear what you're saying, by the way, here's a sidebar. I just need to vent for a minute. Um, I downloaded this really cool ebook from Salesforce yesterday, right? Yeah. I just, I just wanted to read it. I'm not a Salesforce prospect. You know, when a guy was pushing me on the phone, like I can make you a Salesforce customer. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, wait, wait a minute. You're, 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 I, I had this book about trends in small business uh, marketing and you think I'm a prospect for Salesforce, right? So, you know, that's kind of like disconnect. I know, I know, I got it. Take me off your CRM, right? So. But, but it uh, works. I mean, it, it definitely, <laughs> did you get that call like instantly too? It came about like two hours later and I picked it up. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. I, yeah, I do that, know. I remember I was Marketo many years ago. I was looking at the pricing pages because I was doing some research and I left the computer and five minutes later, I was walking down the street and I got a phone call from my sales rep. I didn't even know who they were, uh, but they were like, yeah, we saw you on the website, checking out the pricing. just wanted to see if you had something you want to talk about. Those types of interactions are really, really effective. Um, and many times, like it's a waste of time. Like, don't get me wrong, 50 to 80% of them, there's drop off. But that other 20%, I mean, you definitely can get a lot of deals out of those. Yeah, but you're talking about like a, like a, a pricing page, which is probably more bottom funnel than uh, true, AI, true. right? Yeah. Um, that's, is that, uh, what's the best, just because you know this stuff, I mean, I've used Lead Feeder and things like that. What's the best tool to, what are they using? Is this part of their marketing automation with their cookies or? Is there like a, a yeah, tool you like? A lot of times it's marketing automation. So like we know you would set up an action. So like if we were to use autopilot as an example, um, autopilot is one of my favorite marketing automation tools out there. Great for small businesses, great for medium businesses, not always the best for huge enterprises. It just runs into some problems, but we can set up a journey in there so that if a user visits a page, it will send a text message with whatever information we want to whoever we want. Um, or post a Slack message or whatever. And it'll also allow us to send it to the sales rep. Um, so we used to have it. So as a lead would come in, I would get a text notification with their first name, their last name, what did they do? Um, and then uh, their phone number. And I would just tap on it, call them and be like, hey, this is Dan from God.io. Thanks for stopping by the site. And it worked. Um, so unfortunately, I'm not a sales guy. So I, I didn't have the follow through on that. Um, but it definitely, it got people's attention for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's what marketing automation always has been doing, right? Is they, they track page visits from their CRM and say, hey, this person visited three pages. Give them a call, right? So, yep. Which, which makes that's sense. what lead scoring is all about. I mean, exactly. I love lead scoring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you write a book about all of this? Um, you know, everything we're talking about, um, I'd love to see it. And, and what examples does it say? And I just was wondering about that. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a book called build cool shit. It's your blueprint to building the modern marketing tech stack. 
Uh, and we talk a lot about how do you design a stack to be able to give you this robust analytics, do personalization and do lead scoring. Um, lead scoring for us, we think is extremely valuable, especially because like you don't have the time to watch all these leads that are coming into your system. Even if you're getting five leads a month, you don't have the time to just sit there and watch their activity profiles. Um, and if you build a simple lead scoring model, it enables you to bubble those people up to the top. But at the same time, you can build lead scoring to track when customers aren't coming to your website or aren't using your service and you can create negative lead scores. Um, so the book talks about um, how do you set up the data infrastructure uh, and all that stuff, but it's super, super easy. Um, if you went to magal.io, um, you can find it on our homepage. It's on every page of our sites and you can get a free copy of it. Um, you sometimes have to pay shipping for it, but we'll send you a free print version of it. It's a color book. Um, so who the hell makes color books for MarTech? But we thought it was really, really helpful. But it, it will teach you how to get started with all this stuff, especially the lead scoring component. Yeah, that's important anyway, because again, it's all about salespeople following up on uh, qualified prospects versus suspects for sure. Yeah. You know, we talked about a lot of tools and you're a tool expert in analytics, but you know, at the end of the day, tools are tools. It's really the strategy that um, really makes this thing work, right? And um, so what are your thoughts on that really about, you know, the strategy and, um, you know, and the priorities there, right? Yeah, I definitely think strategy needs to come first. Uh, and you really need to make sure that you know what you're trying to accomplish, how you're trying to accomplish, and then how does all this fit in? And I think a lot of companies kind of flip that backwards. They get excited because they see machine learning, they see artificial intelligence, they get all sucked in by the hype or what the sales rep tells them, they're gonna increase leads by 500%. I can't tell you the number of tools that I've had my clients uh, buy because it's, it's gonna change your business and all this stuff. And then they hook it up and they are like, well, it didn't really fit with the rest of our strategy. And now it's, it's not really working for us. And it's like, well, yeah, you should have thought about your strategy first and how this is all gonna work. Um, and I try to help people understand with strategy. I mean, strategy, uh, Michael Porter wrote like a great uh, book on this. Um, and it, it talks about like strategy is not only just about knowing what you're going to do, but it knows what you're not going to do. And I think that's what companies kind of get lost with, with strategy is they forget that they have to say no to something. And if you don't know what you're going to say no to, then it makes it really hard to choose the right tools, the right integrations, the right stuff. And I'll just try to put it in a, in a situation like Magal.io. Um, our strategy is to use content marketing to build trust and respect and to build rapport with our users because we know in the future, lower level marketers and medium level marketers will consistently rise to the top to become VPs of marketing. And those people are the ones that buy our services. So we still write practical content for the tacticianer to be able to do. That is part of our strategy. We also know that a VP of marketing is not Googling for the pain points that they're going to have. Um, in regards to what we're doing. So we, our strategy is we don't spend money on advertising, right? Because we know what we provide as a service is not what you're typically Googling for. So part of our strategy is content marketing, right? So all of our tools fall inside of that. And we know because of our strategy, we've done a lot of research on that strategy. We're not going to buy PPC ads. We're not going to do heavy outbound marketing. There are certain areas where we can do outbound marketing um, and outbound sales. But for the most part, we have to leave that alone um, because it's not going to fit for our buyer persona. So you have to know that strategy and then your tools come into play. Um, and a lot of people get it the exact opposite. I'm going to buy a tool and then I'm going to create a strategy for the tool. So next thing you know, you got 25 fucking strategies and none of them work. Excuse my language. That's okay. We're all adults here. <laughs> you know, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I hear you though. I mean, you really have to take a big picture about it. Like what is, uh, 
I was just doing this for a, a client of mine too. I mean, we're talking about um, engagement and what's our message. And, you know, I always talk about no matter, no matter how personalization you get or not, it's still about, I always have a structure of any kind of message really is problem, solution, offer, problem, solution, offer, you know, even if you're building trust, you know, yeah. the offer, the offer could be just read more, uh, learn more, but something, you know, marketing and sales, marketing builds trust, but sales has to build trust. Right. So, mm -hmm. and, and that's pretty critical. Let me do another sidebar because you mentioned this in an earlier question and it's coming up recently in, in my, uh, multiple emails. Um, but, um, just talk about AI and just give your opinion in marketing. Like, is it overhype? Is it a strategy? Is it, how does it work? Like what's, what's, what's your big picture on, on the word AI in this whole? Yeah. I mean, AI ecosystem? is amazing. Right. Um, but we have to understand is for artificial intelligence or machine learning, right? AI, ML, whatever you want to call it. For either of those to be effective, there has to be solid and accurate underlying data for them to be able to build their learnings off of, right? Because artificial intelligence, if you give it bad data, it cannot figure out what the future is going to look like. Because naturally, artificial intelligence is trying to problem solve its way to success and predict as much as it can or forecast as much as it can. But if you give it bad data, um, it's not going to be successful. So building the confines at which it can consume data and get access to clean data is the hardest part. And I think that's where a lot of companies where it's become overhyped with AI and all that stuff is the underlying data is trash. Uh, so they can't do a ton of real AI work because they don't have good underlying data. And that's why over the past 12 months and even over the next couple of years, you're going to see huge amounts of companies coming out, or at least in retrospect to like the other growth areas of MarTech that are all focused on data governance. And like one of our products, I own another company called UTM.io. UTM.io, everybody, if, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what a UTM is, you need to go find it out, Google it. Um, but they're the simplest tracking method that you would have for a URL where tracking traffic back to your site. Right. The problem is you have bad data governance there. So when you're doing artificial intelligence and machine learning and looking at where do my best customers come from and tie all that stuff back to attribution source, if your UTM data is corrupt, um, it doesn't work. So we created a product, UTM.io, that provides a data governance layer to make it so that people can't get that wrong, to make it so that AI works. So you'll see many other of these data governance tools come out because with bad data, AI can't do crap. Yeah, I mean, good, with no, bad yeah. data, I've, they do crap, yeah. I'll have to check that out for sure. Uh, let me talk about um, a couple more questions here for you. Let me talk about analytics again. Um, you know, I'm data-driven and you are, of course, um, but we all know that it's the data is one thing, but really making strategic insights on it to pivot campaigns or validate what you're doing is pretty critical, right? Um, this, what's your view as far as like the most important metrics to track in B2B marketing? You know, I always talk about lifetime value and, you know, but is there anything that may be uh, um, unique that maybe not as thought of as typical conversion rates and close rates? And, you know, is there like other kinds of metrics that you look at that might be uh, relevant to, to consider? Yeah. And I, naturally there's the, the, the basics, right? Lead, lead to meeting ratio, meeting to opportunity ratio, um, opportunity to close ratio. Like there's your stereotypical B2B funnel that you can track. 
Um, I am always focused on, right, like number of activities that take to get uh, ultimately a deal and stuff like that, number of touch points that we're trying to get to get a deal, like what are those metrics? But even those can be extremely mis mis uh, kind of misleading uh, as you go through that. My biggest metrics that I'm always looking at are lifetime value, MRR, ARR. I'm typically focused much more high level on like what are those, those big, heavy moving targets. Um, and I think that that's what a lot of companies really need to focus on is money. Uh, naturally, I think money is the most important part in ARR, MRR, or average deal size, um, average contract value. I think those are really good. I think the areas where we see a lot of confusion and a lot of things where people get a little wish-washy is when you start taking into consideration bookings compared to deals. And that's where things get a little more confusing because you have a booking, um, but the booking doesn't start for another two months, right? Like there's all kinds of weird way to track that stuff. Um, but I can't think of like anything that's like a, uh, the North star. Like I, I definitely try to always create algorithms for my metrics. So like, as an example, one of the ways that we measure our sales reps at one of our companies are it's the number of demos, um, combined by the number of, um, uh, opportunities also combined by the, uh, number of deals. And there's a certain way that we multiply and then divide to give them a score. I think it's demos times um, deals divided by ARR or something to that effect. Or I, I'm getting it a little bit backwards just because I don't look at that metric all the time. But we're always trying to create, going back to that lead score, we're always trying to create some kind of score, whether that's through an algorithm to better monitor the success of somebody. Because the one attribute, the number of demos, great. You could do a hundred demos, but none of them become deals. Nobody cares. You could also uh, do pretend like you do a ton of deals, right? But you don't have any demos. Well, uh, how are those deals being sourced? You've got to dig into that. So there's there's a lot of different indicators that you have to pull together to create whatever that custom score is. You just mentioned, uh, you just boggled my mind <laughs> with a lot of that. <laughs> You're really good at that stuff for sure. Um, well, so bottom line though, is for the listeners as we close out here is um, what advice do you have for CMOs or C-level people, you know, with all this data and tech and like, you know, obviously this it's kind of a strange time of uh, our lives right now, but it might be a good time to assess everything and make sure everything is optimized for when things get back to normal. But, um, but you know, any other kind of, um, you know, advice? The biggest thing that I would recommend for anybody right now is I would do a review of my current marketing tech budget. And I would start to look at where the tools really being able to provide me value and improve the customer experience. You probably have 10 to 20% of your MarTech, which is just bloat and you could probably get rid of. Um, and you should probably start replacing those with better tools. Um, there's a lot of cool tools out there that are able to help you kind of consolidate some of this stuff or just do a better job. Um, and with 21, 2021 coming, I mean, the one thing that I want to warn people about is, yes, we're moving forward with digital transformation. Um, and a lot, a lot of things are going digital. So for businesses like mine, it's great. Like we're slammed, which is awesome. But 2021 is also going to bring a lot of really, really weird things um, because the economy hasn't really corrected itself yet. We're flush with cash because of the feds. Um, you got all kinds of stuff that may potentially happen, may not. You have all these um, eviction moratoriums and things like that. 2021 is just going to be an interesting year. So I would still advise companies to check their budgets, make sure that they're running lean, smart practices. Uh, and focus on what's going to drive the money. And you can't do that if you don't have good analytics, you don't have uh, good tools in place. 
Um, so I, I, that would be the biggest advice is still just, just reevaluate your MarTech budget and take it seriously because you're wasting a bunch of money most likely. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's, it's a great time to assess. We talk about that all the time. You know, your website, your your analytics, uh, what work, what hasn't worked, you know, where you need to tweak and things like that, your messaging, all those kinds of things, right? Oh, I will, I will, I will add, and I, you yeah. said that with the website, which is uh, pretty unique. Stop doing the hipster thing, right? Everybody right now that I know, I, I talk to all these companies that like to be hip and cool, and they're buying new technologies like Webflow. They're starting to work with the headless CMS, and they're trying all these these super hip things. Um, you have to understand that the internet is old and the internet does not work when you add new hip stuff. You end up paying two to three times more money when you go with the newest, flashiest tech out there because it's not going to work with the rest of the internet. And we see this happen all the time with people who have used Gatsby or any of these headless CMS. They run into a bunch of problems. Um, a lot of companies who are, I want to use Webflow because it's going to be so easy to use and I'll be able to do it all myself. And then you're locked to a Webflow development shop for the rest of your life, just like you're locked to a WordPress. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is green where you water it. And what you have to understand, the cheaper the fertilizer, the labor, the cheaper it will be to run it. So if you're always jumping to the newest, most hottest thing and trying to be a hipster, guess what? You're going to pay $37 for something that could have cost you 10 uh, just because you wanted to be hip and feel cool and the value that you truly got out of it, oh, you spent more money. You didn't get any more money. You just spent more money. Stop trying to be hip, right? <laughs> be an early laggard, not uh, not an innovator on every single thing. Um, that's where I see most companies. Um, we have a client that has spent over $100,000 in the past 12 months just because they had to use this hipster technology when if they wouldn't have used that hipster technology, they would have saved a hundred grand because they wouldn't have had to pay us to run it. Stop buying hipster shit. That would be my recommendation. <laughs> oh boy. Scary now, right? Uh-oh. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that advice too. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> oh my God, like flash versus function, I guess, you know? I mean, like yeah. all, of, all of a sudden websites don't need to click as long as you can scroll, 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 scroll. Right? Remember that? Yeah. Uh, keep it, keep it simple. I mean, it works. Um, so yeah. 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 I appreciate this. Um, actually, one more sidebar thing. I mean, this is, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You mentioned some tools already. I'm big on tools and everything. So let me just, um, if you can think about just off the top of your head, I'm going to write them down. Um, what are the best newer, like you've said, set sale, things like that. What are the best new cool tools anyway that you've uh, exposed to that you really like? And they're not even new, uh, which is a great well, thing. Or not like, new, but just. Yeah, uh, favorite tools favorite. by far, right? The things that I use the most, um, I use Mixmax for my cold outbound email. I definitely like Mixmax a lot. Mixmax? Is, Mix yeah, Mixmax. Super, super easy that. Gmail Chrome extension. Uh, does all of my, all kinds of craziness. Does outbound email scheduling, all kinds of stuff. Really good. Really? My sales team yeah. does use outreach because it does have some other superpowers, but I still feel that those superpowers are quite lame compared to all the things Mixmax offers. Mixmax. Uh, so Mix max. Yeah, mix max. Yep. Okay. Mix max. You got it right. Um, right. Autopilot is my favorite marketing automation tool. Really, really good. Been out for a long time. Uh, does all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, I can. It has text bots. It has postcards. It has email. It does everything. I love Autopilot. Um, really, really amazing. Salesforce is still my favorite CRM, just because you can blend it and mold it and anything you want. But a lot of people are using PipeDrive as well. Um, the next thing that I would recommend. No, you're good. ConvertFlow uh, is really, really good. That thing is awesome. Oh, yeah. Personalization. Yeah. Um, 
And then I'm missing somebody in here. Um, I love Clearbit for data enrichment. Um, they just became really, really pricey. And then Segment, the customer data platform by far, Segment is definitely my favorite CDP. Amplitude for analytics. Um, and those would be the main uh, tools okay. that we really, really like. And then Chat Funnels would be the new chat tool. Drift is cool, but Chat Funnels actually has A-B testing uh, built into it. So that one's also really, really cool, chatfunnels.com. Okay. I have a call tomorrow with a company called Yieldify. You ever heard of that one? Uh, it sounds familiar, but no, the I don't. What do they do? Customer journey management. I'll yeah. Yeah. There's somebody of them out there for sure. And uh, all right, this is cool. All right. Um, yeah, well, thanks, Dan. Um, it's McGall.io, and, and yeah. you have you have a lot of great insights, and uh, it was great um, having this conversation with you. You can tell <laughs> you're, you're enthusiastic over it, and so am I. So it's it's really uh, it's really good stuff here, and um, so I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for listening. This is Paul Mosenson, Dick's the Convince. Uh, be safe out there, and uh, we'll see you again. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to get more marketing optimization insights. Fix the convince. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to get more marketing optimization insights. Fix the convince. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to get more marketing optimization insights. Fix the convince. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to get more marketing optimization insights. Fix the convince.